the hearts of all those we know in the world. We have prayed for his kingdom to come, for his rule to extend across all the earth. We have prayed for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have prayed for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We have prayed that God will forgive us our sins. And we have prayed that with a heart that goes out in forgiveness to others. We know that we we can't ask God to forgive us our sins if we are not forgiving those who have sinned against us. And now we come to that sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what does our Lord Jesus mean when he teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation? The word temptation is in fact an ambiguous word. It has two possible senses. And if you want to know more about this, then then please read the the article in the Corner Post later on. But I'm just going to introduce the idea this morning. The word temptation has two possible senses. A temptation, on the one hand, can be an enticement to sin. And that, that of course, is is what we normally think of when we think of the word temptation. It's an enticement to sin. We know that the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know that the devil tempted our Lord Jesus Christ in the desert for a period of 40 days. And Jesus, unlike Adam and Eve, did not succumb to that temptation. The Apostle Paul talks about this kind of temptation in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So that's, that's what the word temptation uh, that's, that's one of its meanings, and that's the meaning we normally associate with it, an enticement to sin. But the word temptation can also be used to describe a test or a trial. And in the New Testament, it describes a trial of faith. I don't know if you've walked into an Ikea store, but often they have at the front, in, in, in the lobby of the Ikea store, they'll have a, a machine that is testing the strength of a piece of furniture. Has anyone else seen those machines? So they've got, they've got, they've got these chairs, and I look at the chair and I think, that's never going to hold me up. And, and they'll have a machine that's pressing on the chair uh, day in, day out, to, to test the strength and to show how strong the chair is. And we see in the Bible, God testing his people, testing their faith, testing the strength of their faith in him. In the Old Testament, God tested Israel, didn't he? That was one of the purposes of the 40 years of wilderness wanderings was to test the faith and dependence of his people, to know what was really in their hearts. And of course, God allowed Job to be tested by Satan. First of all, by the destruction of his flocks and herds, then the destruction of his family, 
and then finally the destruction of his own health. This was a time of testing for Job. So I hope, hope we're clear that this word, lead us not into temptation, the word temptation can refer to an enticement to sin or to the testing of our faith. And in fact, James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, says, and we heard this in our reading this morning, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. It's the same word or temptations of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But the question is, and the question I I hope that you have right now is, is this, which did Jesus mean? When he said, lead us not into temptation, is our Lord Jesus teaching us to pray that God will not lead us into enticements to sin? Or is he teaching us to pray that God will not lead us into trials of our faith? Now, on the face of it, it can't be either of those, can it? On the face of it, it can't be either of those, because God cannot tempt us to sin. He can't entice us to sin. It can't be that. James says later on in that first chapter, when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So on the face of it, Jesus can't be teaching us to pray, God, don't entice us to sin, because God never entices anyone to sin. can't be that. And on the other hand, is Jesus teaching us to pray that God will not test our faith? He can't can't mean that either, can he? Because God is always testing our faith. That's what he did in the Old Testament. And we read in the New Testament that we should rejoice when God tests our faith. So, what on earth is Jesus teaching us to pray? What is he teaching us to pray? When we pray, lead us not into temptation. Well, there are two things. The first is this. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are praying, God, shield us from those temptations that will destroy us. We're not praying, God, Please don't entice us to sin because he can't do that. He won't do that. But we are praying that God will shield us from enticements to sin that will destroy us. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because I want you to to look at these words for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Where Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What's Paul saying? He's saying, uh, No one can say when they are tempted to sin, 
No one else has ever experienced this. No one else has has felt the, the, the pull of this temptation like I am feeling the pull of it now. Because that's what we do, right? When we're being tempted to sin, that's what we do, right? We, 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 we think, this is unique. This is a unique circumstance. It's only me who has ever felt this way. Other people, I understand, should never have succumbed to this temptation, but for me it's different. And Paul is saying, no, it's not different. It's never different. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And this is what we are praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We are praying for what Paul is talking about here, that God will shield us from that temptation, that he will provide that way out, that he will provide us with the strength to resist that temptation. What temptations are you dealing with right now in your life? What enticements to sin are you dealing with right now? The temptation to drink too much, to eat too much, to be rude, short-tempered with with those around you. That's not a temptation that builds, is it? That's an instantaneous temptation. Someone annoys you, someone frustrates you, and you lash out. The temptation, it overwhelms you. Do you face that kind of temptation? What about you men, the temptation to put work before family? A perennial temptation of men. Temptation to fear, to be frightened of of what's going on around you. The circumstances seem overwhelming, out of control, and you're tempted to feel frightened. Tempted to watch what you shouldn't watch. I opened the paper yesterday and so much excitement about the latest series of Game of Thrones. I've not seen a minute of Game of Thrones because I know that it's riddled with sex scenes. I've been told that. So much excitement. Yes, another series of this. Filth. Maybe that's a temptation for you. Got to watch it. Everyone else is watching it. It's exciting. What temptations... Are you facing right now? Only you know. And Jesus says to you, call out to your Father and plead with him and pray with him and say, lead me not into temptation. Shield me from temptation. Protect me from it. Show me that way out. You promise, Father, that there's a way out. There's an open door. Show that door to me and show me and lead me through that door. Lead me not into temptation. Our Lord Jesus teaches us all to pray. And our Lord Jesus is also teaching us to pray that the Lord, that God, our Heavenly Father, will shield us from trials 
that will overwhelm us, that will swamp us. So do you see how the, the, the ambiguity of the word makes this prayer such a powerful prayer? Because it refers to an enticement to sin, and we pray, Lord, protect us from those enticements that threaten to overwhelm us. And it also refers to a trial of faith. And so we are praying, Father, do not allow our faith to be tested beyond what we can endure. And if you're sitting here this morning, you think, well, my faith could, it could deal with any trial. You're in a very dangerous place. I think we should all be sitting here thinking any trial could overwhelm me. Any trial. The most trivial trial of my faith could overwhelm me without the protection of God, my Heavenly Father. And we see this with Job. Coming back to Job now. Where Satan says, (laughs) the only reason Job loves you is because he's rich and he's got a a lovely family. He's healthy. Respected, let me take it away. Then we'll see the true nature of Job's faith. And the Lord says, yes, do it. Test him. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. That's the first time. But what do we see? We see God shielding Job from a trial that would have overwhelmed him. The Lord seemed to know that Job was not going to be able to deal, cope with it all at once. Do not lay a finger on the man, he said. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. That the Lord will shield us in the way he shielded Job. Shielded him from what the Lord knew he was not yet strong enough to withstand. And our Lord Jesus says to Simon Peter, remember Peter before the crucifixion of Jesus and how certain he was that if all the others fled from Christ, that he would be the one to stand strong. He wouldn't flee. He would go to his death with Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? Simon, Simon. It's the repetition, right, that gets you. Simon, Simon. (laughs) Oh, dear. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, Jesus says to him. What a metaphor. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Let's see what this man is really made of. But I have prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. Even though he would deny the Lord three times, Jesus upheld him through that trial so that his faith did not fail finally. And Jesus said, in fact, Simon, I've prayed that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus promised a great trial of Simon Peter's faith was about to occur and Jesus himself would uphold him, shield him through it 
even through the denials, and that after he'll be stronger for it, a stronger leader for his brothers. This is what we're praying for, brothers and sisters. When we pray, lead us not into temptation. We are praying that the trials that come upon our faith, that the Lord will protect us through them, and that we will not be overwhelmed by them, but that we will be left strengthened by them. How is the Lord testing your faith? How is the Lord testing your faith right now? Perhaps it's through disappointment. I, I thought by this point of my life I'd have these things. And, and I don't have them. And there's a, a deep sense of disappointment. But that's a trial of your faith, isn't it? What about through discouragement? You're feeling really discouraged at the moment as a Christian, man, woman, boy or girl. You feel like giving up. You're not sure how you can keep going. That's a trial of your faith. Is the Lord hiding his face from you? Don't we see that again and again in the Psalms? The psalmist saying, God, why have you hidden your face from me? This is something that God's people experience. God's people go through these times where they wonder, why has God turned his face away from me? Why has he hidden himself from me? Maybe you're feeling that like that right now. I don't feel the Father's presence. I don't feel him near to me. The Bible says he blesses me, but I don't feel that. I feel the opposite. Is that you? You're not alone. Right through the Old Testament, right through the Psalms in particular, is the Lord hiding his face from you. That's a trial. It's a trial of your faith. Circumstances, are they frightening you? Some of you are, some of us, I should say, very deeply concerned about the state of our nation, the state of our governing authorities. Looks like we're being led down a dreadful path and future generations, we can just see the suffering that is coming and it's frightening. And that's a trial. It's a trial of our faith. Is there something going wrong with your body? Your health? It's a trial. And we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, meaning lead us not into a trial that will overwhelm us and crush us. Protect us through it. The devil is sifting us, but protect us so that we will be left stronger for it and not destroyed by it. This is what our Lord is teaching us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the devil is so often portrayed as, as a kind of uh, comic figure, right? The devil in his red lycra and his, his, his tail and his... Uh, his horns and his goatee beard and his trident, 
portrayed as a, a kind of comic figure, someone just to, to laugh at almost. Certainly not someone to be taken seriously. The Bible never, ever makes light of him in that way. The Bible portrays evil as very powerful, very dangerous. It's dangerous because it's cunning. The devil is as cunning as a serpent. Evil is dangerous because of its attractiveness. The devil never comes to anyone looking like a monster. If he did, what would we do? We'd just turn and run, or we'd see him for what he is. How does he come to us? What does Paul teach us? He comes to us as an angel of light. If he came to us as a monster, he would be far less dangerous. He comes as an angel of light. That's what makes him dangerous. He's so cunning. He looks great, looks beautiful. Evil always does look beautiful. Wouldn't be a temptation if it didn't look beautiful. If it didn't attract us in some way. Evil is dangerous because of its raw power. What's another metaphor for the devil in the Bible? A common metaphor is the lion. The lion. It's a metaphor for a good thing, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it's also, he's also it also describes the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Evil is dangerous because it is not only cunning, attractive, powerful, it's also pervasive. Where's evil found, brothers and sisters? It's found in the world, the Bible says. It's the air we breathe. And when you're breathing something in and out all day, all night, then you hardly seem to notice it anymore. That's, that's, that's how dangerous evil is. It's the air we breathe. We've gotten used to it. We used to drive past when we lived in Perth. In fact, there was a whole sequence of really stinky places. If you're driving south of Perth, there was the, what we call the sewerage farm, as though they were growing it there. <laughs> I don't, they weren't. They were, there was the sewerage farm. Uh, then there were the abattoirs down near Fremantle. And they, well, what a smell from there. The abattoirs. And then there was the power station. I don't know what the power stations did back then, but there was an awful smell. It used to come out. And, and Dad used to tease us. He would be driving and we'd be going, oh, and he'd be going, ah, you know, just uh, teasing us as though it, it didn't, you know, he was too strong to, to recognise this. I've completely lost the thread of what I'm talking about now. So. <laughs> My point is this. There were people who work in the stink farms, who work in the abattoirs, who work in the power station. Is it smelly for them? That's normal. That's normal. And we live in a world where evil is normal. That's what makes it so dangerous. We're breathing it in, breathing it out all the time, hardly noticing it. It's, it's dangerous because it's not only in the world, it's also in us, in our hearts. It's within. It's the fifth column. 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Evil is powerful. If you don't think it's powerful, you are again in a very dangerous place. And when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are saying, Father, the evil that I'm surrounded with, the devil who is after me, and the evil that is within me, it is far too powerful for me. I can't stand up to it. I'm too weak. I'm too frail. I will not make it for a moment if you do not uphold me. This is a prayer. It is a humiliating prayer that our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. Deliver us from evil because it is a confession of our own weakness and a recognition that the power of evil is far, far too strong for us. And so we pray, deliver us. Father, if you don't deliver us, we've had it. We're lost. And so I finish by saying this morning, by pointing out this, this vital paradox that the strong Christian is the weak Christian. Get that into your bones. The strong Christian is not the man I described before preaching, the books, the intellect, the reputation. The powerful Christian is the weak Christian, the one who knows how feeble and frail they are. Turn with me again. Hopefully you're in 1 Corinthians 10. Just turn right to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And Paul has described the tremendous blessings he has received, the tremendous insights and revelations he has received. And then he turns and says, in the middle of verse 7, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And people have said, oh, the thorn was Paul's eyes. That's what, that was the thorn in the flesh. His, his eyesight was failing. And others have said, no, it's, it's Paul, he suffered from epilepsy. That was the thorn in his flesh. And others have said, oh, it must have been some kind of sexual temptation. Well, Paul didn't tell us, and he didn't tell us for a good reason, because he wanted us to know that this thorn could be anything. It could be anything. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Can you hear the cries of Paul? The desperation, the pain, the anguish. Take it away from me, Lord. Three times he pleaded. But the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power 
is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Can you say that? I delight in weaknesses, Paul says. I don't just tolerate them. I delight in them. In insults, hardships, persecutions, in difficulties. Why? Is he mad? What is it delight in these things? Because... When I am weak, then I am strong. Strong in the Lord. His strength is upholding me. Lead us not into temptation, Father, because we will collapse under it. Deliver us from evil because it will overwhelm us. Because we are weak. You are strong. Need your strength. strong Christian is the Christian who depends utterly on the strength of Christ. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, says John in his first letter. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the strong Christian who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, depending on him. And one final word. You can always pick the, the strong Christian who's actually weak <laughs> and who knows their weakness and who knows they're utterly dependent on God. How do you pick that Christian? They're at church. I'm weak. I need you. I, I really need you. I need, your, I need my brothers and sisters. I need to fellowship with you. I need to see you. I need the strength that the Lord gives me through you. The weak Christian is at church. The weak Christian is praying because they know how desperately they need the Father's help. The weak Christian is reading this, studying this, because they know that it, it, it's, this is the strength that the Lord gives us, this daily bread that we need. It's the weak Christian who comes to the Lord's table, taking that bread and that wine, knowing that it's only Jesus and his death that can sustain them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We confess our total weakness. We're not ashamed to confess it. We are weak, and we would be conquered in a moment by temptation and evil unless you hold us up Father, thank you for holding us up. You've been doing it all along. It's 
why we're here this morning, because you've been holding us up. Would have fallen away long ago if you hadn't. And Father, we pray, please keep holding us up. Lead us not into temptations that will overwhelm us, into trials that are too strong for us. Deliver us from evil, we pray. Amen. Thanks, musicians.